0: We're back to the Neil Haley Show and also the Caregiver Dave Celebrity Segment. Excited to welcome first Caregiver Dave to Sandy. Dave, how are you? I know you're doing, doing well, great. man. Doing doing you're great. Just, doing great. Yeah, you're doing it, Finally, the weather's bad, good in L.A. again, right?
1: Finally, finally.
0: All right. My guest today is Nick Buick, and he's a house music producer, singer, and songwriter, and DJ. Nick, how are you, man? Thanks for stopping by.
2: I'm great. I'm honored to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: All right, let's just kind of jump into this, Nick. This DJ, DJing first,
2: house music, singer, what was first? Um, It was kind of a progression. Uh, When I was about 11 years old, uh, back in Ohio, they test your voice and they put you in either band or choir. And they put me in choir and I sang for a long time. Uh, I actually studied classical opera, believe it or not. Um, And then I left that and, uh, you know, got into the real world, uh, Came back to it shortly thereafter, you know, as I got older, uh, wanting to express myself, uh, went into DJing, uh, producing music, and then singing again, but singing uh, and writing in a pop style, which was kind of, you know, hard to learn at first. Um, But uh, I guess the real progression was, uh, weirdly enough, opera singer, uh, DJ, producer, songwriter, singer. So (laughs) kind of like a circle, but a, a very messed up version of the circle at the end so <laughs> very very good
1: wow did your parents uh, give you a lot of support in those younger years
2: uh they they uh they did what they could uh they didn't understand i don't think that this could be a career or anything <laughs> um i'm actually from i think close to you guys i'm from youngston near youngstown ohio warren ohio okay. Uh, I think you guys are, are doing this from Pittsburgh, correct? Or is that incorrect? I'm from well, LA, he's from I'm, Pittsburgh.
0: Yeah, I'm, but now I'm in Dallas. But no, this is nationally syndicated.
2: Got it. Stand corrected. Okay.
0: Okay, so no worries. Let's go, Nick, specifically enough, you know, then all these things happen in church. So you kind of took the the choir and all these things and music and kept it and tried to put it into more of a different spin your music,
2: right? Kind of explain. Well, yeah. I I was encouraged to not go that direction, Uh, you know, so I I listened to other people um, and I prepped my life to do something else. And then uh, it just so happens that it later surfaced and reared its head again in a different way. Um, So I had to express myself musically somehow. Uh, I really repressed it for a long time. I just thought, oh, I can't go. I can't study opera. I can't. I actually got into music school. When I was younger. You know, I can't possibly do that. I have to go to law school. I have to uh, prep my brain for making money. Um, and I ended up going to law school uh, for like a week, <laughs> actually less than that, maybe like a day or two. And then uh, I was like, I, can't, I can't, just can't do this. So, um, you know, kind of a you know, sign to parents out there. If, if your kid wants to do something, just let them do it. Or I don't think my parents meant to dissuade me really it was more subconscious uh but eventually reared its head a different way which i'm very thankful for because i'm glad i'm a pop singer i'm glad i'm a um, you know pop producer i'm glad i'm not an opera singer that's for sure um so um yeah that's really the story do you have the opera voice i mean could you have been successful you know it's singer? <laughs> it's funny a friend of mine uh who actually is a, a teacher at usc um Uh, my alma mater (laughs) oh yeah nice uh he studied classical music and he 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 wanted me to perform um an old piece I'd learned by Schumann and I tried it and I pretty much almost had it so he was he was pretty impressed this was literally three days ago
0: really so let's kind of so Nick tell us more about the music like define house for music for me I'm interested in that
2: House music um, is very basic. It's it's what's called four on the floor. So it's like,
3: mm,
2: mm, mm, mm. you know, it's in four fourths time. Uh, The basis of it is um, really the four beats per per measure. And uh, it's really centered on the beats. Um, And it takes samples of vocals and voices and doesn't really focus. It does have song structure, but doesn't focus on um, the full songwriting formula, whereas pop does. Pop has a sort of A, B, A, B, C and then back to A formula. Uh, house music it does have that structure somewhat, but it's slightly different, it's more simple. And it was a way for me to kind of, uh, in a way, simply get into music again, not having too much pressure, like, oh, I'll just take a vocal, somebody else's vocal and just kind of manipulate it and put a beat to it. And then I'll DJ and I'll play around with it. Um, and then <clears throat> later I, I, I wanted to know more. I wanted to know songwriting. Uh, and so I learned songwriting at Icon Collective Uh, which is a school in burbank um and then i thought well, why don't i just try singing again it's like no i can't sing uh so you know in 2020 or so um my teacher said you know you should try singing on your own tracks uh and then the pop voice will come so i did and uh, i learned songwriting and i learned how to sing in a pop style and then i said well i'm not going to produce other people's voices i'm not going to do remixes of of you know like Rihanna or, or somebody anymore I'm just gonna do my own music um and then I just said I'm gonna go for it so here I am well wow. so, so long story short house music is really simple and it was a way for me to play to get to where I am now and to come full circle uh in a very different way from where I was when I was younger
1: You know, there's a lifelong uh, debate on entrepreneurs. Are they born or are they raised? Uh, Do you consider yourself an entrepreneur or are you more artistic? Uh, Was it hard to figure out how to make money with what you're doing or was it very easy?
2: You know, if you have the mindset of coming and uh, doing this as a nine to five, putting the time in in sort of unorthodox ways um, and then thinking of it as almost like a a pitch, like a salesperson, like, you know, 90% of the people are going to say no. Or ninety nine percent, but one person might give you a booking. Might, one person might give you a gig. If you come to it with some sort of um, business experience, as a maybe telemarketer would, I think that could be very beneficial. So um, sales. Yeah, yeah. So sell, you yourself. You sell yourself, and that was hard to learn for a long time. I, it really takes both. You have to be creative, and for a long time, I was creative, uh, and then I, I made a song like, "Okay, what now?" and I, for a while i i just made songs and let them sit there but then i realized okay it's time for me to get these out here i've got a product i got to market this product um and it's a whole it's like a different person it's like nick buick is the creator and different this hat. other person is his booking agent his uh you know our person everything else it's like two different people so
0: definitely the so, wh- yes. so so what's what's the latest news on you nick for performing and all that where can people learn I'm more?
2: trying to secure uh to be honest I haven't um fully bounced back from even from covid you know I was performing a lot before then um but um I'm trying to secure some gigs on the sunset strip on some venues I'm not going to say them because I don't have they're not 100% um you know booked yet but you know performing live is what I absolutely love to do it's it's number one and I'm working actually right now on some um, tracks some backing tracks Hmm, okay. um and put you know putting my show together and hiring some dancers and kind of putting the theme
1: together so excellent you said you went to school and learned how to write music i always thought it was just a natural gift that it just flows out of you how do, how does someone teach you how to write music
2: they don't you're <laughs> absolutely right um they taught me how to uh, court the muse let's say uh yeah so they taught they taught me how to um They, they, they basically, uh, you know, when you like, let's say a workout, you can't teach someone to lift something, you know, like to bench press, but you can give them technique and show them the right way to do it and then tell them, you know, to start light and then go to higher, higher weights and that sort of thing. So there were a lot of people that were taught the same things that I were taught that, that are not songwriters right now. Mm. Um, but it, it opened up a sort of like, a it cracked open a sort of window, um, And uh, I had always thought of melodies and things like that. I didn't know what to do with them. I didn't know anything about Mm -hmm. structure. Um, I didn't know the concept of space. Um, I didn't know your pre-chorus had to be, had to give space. It's called space. It has to be a little more simple. Um, I know, uh, you know, a lot of the tricks um, and I, you know, uh, they, they tend to work. So.
1: Did uh, you have a lot of discouragement in the beginning? I mean, did it come quickly or was it a struggle?
2: No, it came easily. Uh, (laughs)
1: thus the uh uh, the gift
2: yeah it came came easily um you know and um writing lyrics came easily writing writing melodies came easily but i didn't know anything about song structure uh melodies can come to you within a moment they can come to you in your sleep even they can come to you in the shower um if there's really no telling how they are out they get out there uh it's a complete mystery who knows where they come from and then and then when you try to write a melody um like when you really try to make it happen, you cannot do it. <laughs> it is really hard sometimes, not always. It's um,
1: from God.
2: <laughs> maybe, you know, you know <laughs> potentially. Die. All
0: right, so Dave has a caregiving question. Go ahead, Dave.
1: So I'm a caregiver, uh, married for 25 years at the time, and my wife has this headache, turns into a stroke, um, loses her speech, becomes paralyzed on one side. We go through the grief process. We almost break up because she's so angry and bitter. And I go to a caregiver support group. Uh, I'm taught to put my mask on first, take care of me first. I did. She started coming around. Our love was rekindled. I became Dave, the caregiver's caregiver, to help other caregivers go through or not go through what I went through. And now I speak all over the country, all over the world. And I've been on 50-plus TV stations uh, just doing my thing. Now I host caregiver wellness retreats in Acapulco to help caregivers stay alive since 30% of them die before their loved ones do just from the stress. Like, oh, wow. Uh, so I've got a website, caregiverdave.com. Uh, question to you, Nick, is um, I know you're kind of young, but uh, has caregiving touched your life uh, with your family, relatives, friends?
2: Uh, my best friend. Um, that's really funny that you should say that because I had this book here. I don't know if you're even familiar with this if, if you like this guy <laughs> Dr phil's Phil McGraw, real yeah, life of course um I read a lot I love to read uh, I was an English major uh when I was younger so he talks about the seven worst days of your life um and um and you have to do a lot of self-work to be, be an artist you have to read and encourage yourself in that sort of, so I so I do but uh that's funny um when somebody's having a hard time um it, it talks about in, in the book that you uh, a lot of times the best you can do is to just be there and listen and check in with them often and, um, you know, try not to give ridiculous advice, advice. Yeah. like, well, well, things will get better. Oh, well, you know, you'll find another job. Oh, well, whatever the case may be. So, yeah. Um, so, I, anyways, I, I luckily have not had to do with deal with with my parents or anyone like that. Um, however, my really good friend has um, stage four cancer, and oh. he's only twenty. He's only twenty seven. Oh my god! Um, yeah, roommate. Actually, we used to live together, and then he, um, uh, I had, uh, I, he was really by himself. You know, he was afraid to tell people, and so I ended up being as his, as his, uh, the doctor's um, main point of contact because we were so close. And uh, the doctor called me after his operation. Said, "Hey, he's at stage four. His chances of living are about a, a year." Um, I was in complete shock. I, I went to visit him, and he had his stomach was all cut up from from his pelvis all the way up, almost to his sternum. Um, and there was nothing I could do. I realized, but to just be there and cheer him up. Um, I don't care for him. He d- he does have he does have a mother. He lives in Orange County now with his mom. Um, but I check in on him often and, um, I try to cheer him up. And the the craziest thing that I I learned about that experience is that when we talk, he would like to talk about anything, but that (laughs) he will bring up old jokes, uh, old inside jokes, like anything he will talk about it, but it's not his focus. You know, he's not looking for advice. He's not looking for for me to talk about that topic he's looking for me to make him feel like you know like we used to when we would hang out before cancer so um so i you know what i for a long time the answer is i didn't know what to say um and i realized that just being there was um was a lot for people
1: well for many you know as bad as the condition he's in his mother could be in worse condition because like i said you know it's tough being a caregiver it's tough caring for them I'd love to see her and people like her, you know, join me in Acapulco one day to help them unwind, rejuvenate, and just save their lives, you know?
2: Um, She doesn't speak English. (laughs) But, and the idea of going somewhere like that would probably be foreign to her. She's from Afghanistan. However. Oh, wow. Yeah. So she, I'm sure, culturally internalizes her pain. Uh, She's Muslim, and they're, they're from a Muslim family. So, however. That's a great idea. And I wish that she would.
0: All right. Um, Well, we appreciate it, Nick. Where can you find info on you? Where can we go to check out stuff, your music and everything?
2: uh, You can go to, uh, you know, Nick Buick, B-E-W-I-C-K on Spotify, on iTunes, and then at Nick underscore Buick, B-E-W-I-C-K on Instagram. And also um, pretty much TikTok or anywhere else. Same handle. All right. Appreciate it, Nick. Okay. Thanks, guys. Thanks. For All right, take
0: me. care. See you. Okay, See ya. you're listening and watching the Neil Haley Show, and we'll be back in just a moment. We're back to The Neil Haley Show, and also the Media Giant Effect, and I'm excited to welcome podcaster, author Marisa Jones. Marisa, thanks for stopping by. And you know, uh, last time we talked about workplace, we talked about specifically enough, you know, self care. Today we're going to talk winter blues. Why? Because in Texas it's 22 degrees. Uh, there is we're everyone is dealing with a cold streak unless you live in Florida. Or you live in some tropical land and when you don't see the sun as much and you're stuck in an office and you go out and it's dark and it's gloomy and you don't really get the opportunity to get the sunlight you need, it leads to the winter blues and then the cold and having to put all these different layers on. Why is it that people become depressed in the winter?
4: Well, you know, our bodies are, we want to be outside. We want to be in tune to nature and, and believe it or not, the sun really impacts our serotonin levels and has such an, uh, you know, just feeling the warmth of the sun and, and the vitamin D with the sun. Most of a lot of us even take supplements for vitamin D, but being outside more than anything is what our bodies need. It's just really healthy and Who doesn't love a day where you walk outside because the sun is shining and it's like, you just want to be outside all day. So when the winter time comes and you're trapped in the house because it's raining, depending on where you live, it could be it's raining all day long or it's snowing or temperatures are in single digits. it makes you feel trapped, right? It makes you feel like you can't do anything and you can't leave anywhere except for, you know, maybe going to the work, work or running some errands. And it just puts a damper on, on your day and, and your mood and your mental health. I mean, there's, a,
5: yeah, there's I, a
4: serious thing called seasonal affective disorder. A lot of people have it, especially in areas like Seattle, where it rains all day. Um, it's pretty prominent. Um, I suffer from it. I definitely, that's why I'm here in Florida. I'm in short sleeves uh, because I have, I had to get away. Uh, You know, it was just really impacting me to the point where I needed to get out of town.
0: Well, it's very interesting to talk about seasonal. uh, Think about Pittsburgh next to Seattle, Washington. And that's where I was for X amount of years. Now I'm in Texas and I'm happy except today when it's 22. But ultimately, even if you're stuck in a place and then finally, when you do get to get out, and you go outside you feel great when it's sunny when it's not sunny you feel like garbage and if it's cold and gloomy and everything so the seasonal depression is definitely out there and if you don't get enough sunlight so being outdoors is such an important thing do you have tips for people that they're dealing with this winter depression as the winter blues is i guess we'll title today's program
4: absolutely so the first thing is you know, even if the weather's too cold to go outside or it's raining, you can't go outside. There's a few things that you can do. Uh, for instance, the first thing I do in the morning, I have a picture of myself and my two dogs standing in a river in the springtime and uh, and I have it posted right in front of my bed. And so every morning when I get up, that's the first thing I look up, look at. And, and, I, and I envision myself there from a mood perspective. I can feel myself being in the river with my dogs and just a few moments of that visioning really creates the mood for the day, regardless of what the weather is like outside. Because now I may not be able to do that for the day, but it, it it's a reminder. It's almost like a check-in with yourself of, of how you want to feel. Um, so that's definitely one of the things you can do is find a place that's really means uh, something to you, being outside or being with friends and family um, you, from a place where you can't uh, go to, um, so that that's a recommendation.
0: And it's it's a situation where you find things that you enjoy, like different things, make it not so always Groundhog Day all over again, which we dealt with with COVID, and we've we've really never reprogrammed ourselves away from COVID in a way of how we dealt with things. We're so used to okay, I can just work a straight fourteen hours at a desk and not have to move at all. And get caught up in calls and caught up in specific things. And that can be just one day, but it doesn't. And and, and ways of doing that. And, and sometimes Marisa, it's a situation where maybe watching when you're doing monotonous work a, a movie or doing certain things where you're not as productive is an okay thing sometimes, especially if you can't do anything that you're absolutely today. You know, there's no way for me to go and and travel to salad and go and get some nice salad and go salad is the best place in texas by the way for a very low cost salad that's healthy and they, they really good healthy food you can't so i'm waiting for that check from salad and go but ultimately i'm not gonna be able to go out to salad go tonight you know i'm not gonna be able to go out to the grocery store tonight i'm gonna be stuck in which is weird for saying in texas but ultimately that's where you're, you're you try to find do something fun each and every day and you reward yourself in the especially in the winter am i correct with some sort of reward because of the hard work you've done self rewarding yourself is such an important thing don't expect other people to validate you i'm learning that now and, and, and at, at age 50 that i don't need other people's validation I could validate myself for the success I've done or something I've done well and pat myself on the back, not have to ask for someone else to pat me on the back. And I think it's because we're so not wanted to give ourselves stuff and give ourselves things because we're told being selfish is the wrong thing to do when ultimately it's the best thing for our mental health, right? So having that TV, right? So you're, you're I'm on the right track, right?
4: Absolutely. That, you know, I don't watch TV. I'd rather be outside. But in, the, in those times that you you can't. Um, yeah, it's just it's just looking at things from a different perspective, whether you sit down and it's watching a movie or even just the fact that how often does it snow at, or, or hailstorm in Texas? Right? Uh, well, I'm a it, Pittsburgher,
0: so I don't want to even know that's here, but that's for other people. But,
4: but for those that rarely see it, look out the window, just enjoy the view. Right. L- try to try to observe it rather than just be impacted right, by it, right? Just stand, look out the window, watch people drive and pass through it, through it. Look at the hail coming down, look at the snow, just appreciate it and change your perspective, even if for a few moments, right? Think about what you could do. It's all um, about it's,
0: mindset, isn't it? It's all about it's all how all we look at, look at every experience and every situation as, okay, I need more or I want to have more and that's why I want more. And it's And I'm not gonna be disappointed if I don't get it. And and when bad things happen, as uh, Dr. Mary talks about loss, loss of everything, that we go through losses each and every day, how do we overcome that tough situation just happened to us? How do we overcome these situations? And winter blues is a loss. A lot of people don't want to be stuck. COVID was a loss for us. And how do we now navigate through that? And that's the type of stuff you do, Marisa, especially helping companies with their employees so that they can keep that. Because if you don't have that mental health in order, which a lot of us are still dealing with, we all deal with mental health in some way. But people are dealing really bad. They're not going to perform well at work, are they, Marisa? Nope.
4: Not at all. And 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 to what you talked about is everyone is so busy and they're they're in work and and they operate just trying to get the work done right and it might be they can't go out or they can't go exercise because of weather but what's important is that they have to take care of their mental health if their mental health is strong then when it when you have an off day when when you're struggling because you can't go out and you have the winter blues you when you have a balanced mental health um, then you can you can manage those days, right? You can deal with those days and it just makes it a lot easier. So it's not just, I'm having a really bad day and I have to fix this day. It's about living with intention every single day to make sure you support yourself. Do the good days, do the bad days and and keep a more balanced lifestyle from a mental health perspective.
0: Best place people can connect with you is where Marisa?
4: Uh, MyEverydayBeing.com and uh, I'm always available.
0: All right. Thanks again. You're listening and watching The Neil Haley Show. And we'll be back in just a moment. We're back to Neil Haley Show and also The Media Giant Effect. And we've been really highlighting, spotlighting entrepreneurs, CEOs. I'm excited to welcome the program, Peter Goodmanson. Peter, thanks for stopping by, man. And you know what? It's the There is something in our blood, right? Entrepreneurship, CEO type stuff that we really just feel like creating and touching things and seeing how they work in ways and figuring it out in certain ways where people wouldn't want to put those drag those hours out and really do it right
3: in just, a phrase, yeah, exactly in a phrase intellectual curiosity that's what really drives uh, interest in life frankly i i hope till the day i die i'm i'm, I'm trying to learn something new
6: <laughs>
0: learning and i learned that as a teacher for so many years and then went into the entrepreneur journey but how did your entrepreneur journey start
3: yeah, I mean, somewhat. Somewhat uh, um, curiously, I actually uh, grew up in suburban New York. I was the, my parents had met at the United Nations. So my father from Iceland, my mother from Canada. So wow. I grew up thinking I might be a diplomat when I got older, as kids often just default to what their parents do. Uh, but I studied history in college, and I was a marine marine artillery officer for a few years, and I went to business school at, at Harvard, and then from there I dabbled in Wall Street for a little bit. Didn't really like it. I learned that I really wanted to run things, uh, and uh, so that's. Uh, that's how I ended up in a, in a business career. It's, a, it's a, a way to run organizations and really help people and learn new things.
0: Let's back it up first, Harvard. Okay, now yeah. we're talking about educating. We're talking about how <laughs> did you, how hard did you work in school to get to Harvard? You know, uh,
3: pretty pre- Yeah, pretty hard. I was a good, a good student. I went to Brown University undergrad, studied oh, awesome. history there. Um, But uh, actually, what what paid off the most in business school was the military experience, uh, because uh, uh, at the age of, what, 25 or so, when I was in the MBA program, I had actually um, led Marines, whereas a lot of my colleagues, who were very, very bright, um, had worked at places like Goldman Sachs and McKinsey, and they had managed spreadsheets uh, and and PowerPoint, not people. And uh, so much of business is about people, not just numbers.
0: That's so true people not just numbers and you do, you do you think you learned that in Brown in certain ways? Uh,
3: because- I, I think the Marine Corps really I mean
0: Marine okay
3: yeah yeah Brown not so much I mean Brown is more more intellectual abstractions, uh, you know but but uh, yeah the Marine Corps is there's, there's no laboratory uh, for leadership like the military in general and specifically in my case the Marine Corps
0: see I'm I'm very impressed by this because you have the education background but you saw from the military, It gave you the ability to lead. You had the intellectual ability and intellectual is so important to learn all the time, to constantly learn new things to to keep up with the competition. But ultimately, if you're not a people person, if you're not able to delegate And you're not going to be successful. So you have the full package, it sounds like, Peter.
3: Exactly. Well, yeah. And also, I would say that military service is also very good for uh, learning humility and understanding that good ideas can come from anywhere. I mean, a a Lance Corporal who's 19 years old might have an idea that the general hadn't thought of. And you have to keep your ears open for that. And the last thing you want, especially if you have name brand uh, credentials otherwise, the old, I went to Harvard Business School, stand back, I have the answers, is is absolutely a, a recipe for disaster. So always keep your ear open and be be open to the, where where good ideas can come from.
0: Oh, no doubt about. It. Like think about this, my I mean, education. I definitely was educated, but first I went undergrad gra- dropped out of school to become a professional wrestler, came back, got my undergrad, then went and got went to grad school for a teacher and got my master's in education and then uh, basically saw the value of education. It was hard for me to see it. You had the right parents that probably you know pushed you towards that or you had that intrinsic motivation uh to be successful to go to school to to want to achieve high level results achiever must be one of your top talents achievers mine according to Gallup uh and ideations number one let's talk about you know specifically enough your entrepreneur Journey businesses how did they develop which businesses do you currently have and what is your your big focus. Yeah,
3: I, I follow a pattern, what I call buy, grow, sell, which is which is uh, to buy or occasionally be, be hired to run a small business, grow it of, over the course of four or five years, and then usually sell it. Uh, I, I try not to get greedy. I, I, another way to phrase it is I, I have a career of triples. Uh, a lot of people, uh, some entrepreneurs are really wired to do the, what I call two geeks in a garage, you know, the Hewlett Packard mythology and all sure. that, where it's, we're going to take a swing at it and maybe it'll end up being. Google, but it'll probably end up being nothing. I'm not like that. I, I much prefer. I, there's nothing's a sure a sure bet, but I'd rather take something from you know two million in, in, in profit to, to five million in profit and sell it uh, rather than um, than try to squeeze it to, to uh, beyond its 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 capabilities. Perhaps it's a little bit of a cautious uh, uh, approach, uh, but it's worked for me.
0: All right, so, so let's talk about, specifically enough, the current business you're, you're Yeah, with.
3: so I, I, I'm i CEO of a company called BeHome247. It's a property management company, uh, a property management software. We serve two markets, vacation rentals, and or short-term and vacation rentals, and then residential, which is mostly single-family for rent. And the software controls smart devices like locks and thermostats and leak detectors and noise detectors and so on, and then integrates those with operating workflows like housekeeping, maintenance management, vendor management sort of thing and then finally all that is packaged in the context of uh, resident or guest communications. so if you've ever stayed in a vacation rental where there's a three ring binder that has uh you know the wi-fi code right. and local restaurant uh, uh discount coupons all that's electronic now in our software so it's it's a very good space it's the, the space is globally called um prop tech or property technology it's one of the hotter areas in technology and right right now the technology uh, um, sector as a whole is a little bit in retreat. Uh, uh, the, the big companies, the Googles and the Apples and so on, have overhired, and so they're 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 cleansed, taking the advantage of it, an economic downturn to sort of cleanse their uh, their rosters a little bit. Not so in PropTech. tech. Prop tech is very hot, um, and because um, real estate is one of the last sectors of our society that has really not yet um, uh, taken an advantage of the digital revolution, and that's what we're we're uh, partaking in.
0: Let's see, that's very, very smart. And do you guys have people that are Airbnb people? that yeah, do We the- plug
3: into Airbnb, Airbnb VRBO, uh, booking.com, all of those, they're called CRMs, customer relationship management, uh, marketing things. So they are at the front end and in the back end, there are property management systems that have accounting and that sort of stuff. We sit in the middle along with the property management system. It's really all the activity of the business that occurs in the four walls of the condo or the house or the apartment.
0: So who's your customer?
3: Our customer is property managers, either third party property managers or owner operators, people who own their own properties. So it could be, it's amazingly, in vacation rentals, a very diverse space. There are huge companies um, that have thousands of units under management, but a lot of it is 50 or 100 units under management. Uh, for example, I'm going to uh, Destin, Florida in a couple of days for a business conference. And, and uh, Destin, places like that, I mean, almost every condo you see is is, is professionally managed by a property manager because the owner might be a, dentist in Nashville uh, or something. Uh, and uh, in the in the residential world it tends to be more sort of Wall Street money in REITs, real, real estate investment trusts that are building owning and building thousands of houses at a time, especially in growth areas. I'm, I live in Dallas, but places like Dallas, Houston, Atlanta are just turning uh, prairie or forest into suburbia at a rapid rate, even with high interest rates like we have now.
0: So, what is the biggest challenge getting that information out there? Especially because you're you're really b you're not just a B two B. It seems like because again, a lot of C's are their businesses, but yet they're smaller.
3: It's right. B to B, it's B to B, and then the Bs you know, work with the Cs. Um, okay. I, I, I feel like Dave Chappelle saying that as a bad joke, but the 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 um, yeah. So so um, the biggest challenge we have is that real estate people are very small C conservative. They just um, they they tend to uh, worry about um, the day to day problems like housekeeping or 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 whatever or maintenance management, and they don't necessarily think to invest for the longer haul. And um, software of any type is is it's a financial cost up front, but it's also a a, um, uh, attention uh, uh, deficit. You have to learn how to use it. uh, And most people resist that. And so they'll note it's kind of like joining the gym or losing weight. Here we are in January where a lot of people are doing that. Everyone admits they want to do it. They just want to start next week. Uh, and so that's that. Our biggest challenge is is to break that procrastination cycle. Uh, people know they need to do it; they will do it eventually. And because of that, they're not eager to get
1: started.
0: What is your What is your value proposition that get, makes you different from your competition, or to the, fit that mold of the real estate people? Because again, you're saying they don't want to invest, but you what solution do you fix? That yeah. They're... So
3: it, it, it's it's really uh, threefold. It is it is. Um, saving money which is mostly labor and energy energy is a big way so for example not uncommon if you're a property manager you might have a condo in say floor in miami in uh, in July and it's blasting the air conditioner at 60 degrees and no one's there
5: oh,
7: um, man.
3: That's, a, that's a crime to the planet and it's a crime to your bottom line so if you have a centralized system that'll tell you hey why is unit 362 at 60 degrees when it's no one's in there and you can change it remotely without having to send somebody out in a pickup truck or a golf cart that saves a lot of money. So, uh, so that also says makes labor more efficient, uh, and then it delivers a better customer experience. So these days, if you remember, say fifteen years ago, if you visited a hotel, you'd be happy if it had Wi-Fi. Now, if you stay in a hotel and the Wi-Fi is not blazing fast, you think there's something wrong with the hotel. I mean, you can you, you know, everything else can be beautiful, and you condemn it for being not digitally hip or you know up to date. Right. It's the same way with other digital smart home and other things if, if you're fumbling with a metal lock or a, a, a key card uh in a hotel it's not a great experience i mean you expect things to be more modern to use your phone to unlock the, the door or to um you know, use a code that you've been given um, in, in the combination uh, pad things like that so so yeah so it's so it's saving money it's it's uh, delivering a better uh customer experience or resident experience um, and, and then finally, reducing risk. It's not so sexy, but things like leak detectors, noise detectors, smoke detectors, some of those are by code, but for example, a leak on the top floor of an apartment building is going to cause a lot, a lot of damage. And if you could, could have gotten uh, ahead of that with a, with a moisture meter or a leak detector uh, that senses that. Another thing that's interesting these days is uh, noise monitoring, believe it or not. Um, you mentioned Airbnb, it's a challenge in a lot of communities, especially around spring break or, or when when uh, partiers uh, rent a unit, and the, 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 no, the uh, music is being played too loudly, uh, a no, uh, a noise monitor can detect that and then, then, um, text the resident to say, Hey, it's after quiet hours and you're being too loud. And nine times out of 10, that solves it. People don't want to be rude. They just forgot. They just got excited about their little party. Uh, and that saves, you don't have to call the police out and all that sort of stuff, which really annoys neighbors. And then you end up with uh, people at, at city hall, uh, or at, uh, town council meetings asking for, uh, Airbnb restrictions and so on. So it all ties in together. Uh so risk reduction is the third major benefit.
0: So the property management, again, there's so many things that come under property management. Yeah, yeah. There are apartments, they're there, 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 are Airbnbs, there are other types of things. So you really run in a gamut and real estate, like certain yeah. big real estate uh Dealing. So it, you, you keep busy in this, but this solution. So the bottom line, when you have these conversations with people, they mm-hmm. understand then that they're going to save money on the long run. It's exactly. a future thing where, Hey, yeah, right now it might cost you, but it's going to cost you a lot in staffing. It's going to cost you a lot in bad reviews because Airbnbs live off of reviews. If they don't get the good reviews, they don't get more business. So that increases the bottom line and all those things. All right. That's exactly
3: right. And they know what's going to work. They just, they just, we're all human and we tend to procrastinate. That's the only issue. What other
0: business, do you have any other businesses right now? Or is this No, that's
3: my, that's my only current one. I'm, I sit on some boards of, of other small companies uh, uh, and, and a large charter school system here in Texas as well. Um, so that's more of community service than uh, than I, I do as a volunteer. Um, but I always have my eye out and, uh, you know, we'll keep growing. This one has such great prospects that I'll focus on this for the next couple of years and uh, and see, what, see where it goes.
0: All right. Best place people can find you. Where can they connect?
3: Uh yeah, probably LinkedIn um, is a great place to find me personally. And then my company, BeHome247.com. B E Home247.com.
0: All right. We appreciate it, Peter. It was a uh, Thanks, really man. great conversation. You're listening and watching the Neil Haley show, we'll be back in just a moment. We're back to Neil Haley Show and the Media Giant Effect. I'm excited to welcome to the program podcaster, entrepreneur Troy Nelson. Troy, what's going on, man? And how did you come up with an idea to do a podcast? You know, it's, I've talked to so many podcasters, and I'm going to give you this advice. Never stop doing it if you enjoy it. Lots of people look at numbers. They look at certain things when they start instead of staying the course. I stayed the course 13 years, and I've done over 9,000-plus episodes, and I've grown business a business because of it. So it is a great thing. So tell me more about your podcast, Troy. Like,
5: I'm an actor by background. Um, and uh, so, and I've been in sales and thinking, so it seemed like a, a natural progression to be able to talk to people and connect and network. Uh, I know everybody in the world has their own podcast, but I live in Southwest Florida. We've gone through the pandemic and we just went through a hurricane, did some stuff. I thought it was a way to spotlight what we've gone through here locally. And I'm going to come back and for people to have a voice for, you know, making say it, saying that they're still here and still coming on. And just build out from there that, uh, that you know, those people and nonprofits and people have gone through the pandemic and all these things, giving them a voice, something to tell their story. I I've, I've thought telling my story and what I've gone through as an entrepreneur and single dad, and I have an autistic kid. It gave me kind of a ability to be able to pass on my story of overcoming and doing things and that connect with other people. And the combination of the two stories is something we can give as a blueprint to other people.
0: So Troy, tell me specifically about your entrepreneurship. What do you do?
5: I am a, I have a small uh, um, video production company. We do we do videos mostly for websites and social media Facebook Instagram those kind of things we're starting to do a lot of fun little stuff that get on TikTok and Snapchat and teaching people how to make quick fun videos It's something a little bit out of the box but we also do social media marketing you know teaching people how to run their Facebook page we'll run it for them to do some of that stuff basically a one-stop shop for somebody starting a business small business owner how to get their how to get their message out, how to blame themselves, how to do those things. So we, we just try and teach uh, the little guy and show him how to produce himself to the world.
0: And that's so, so important because they need to be able to do that. They need to have a personal brand. Tell me why it's such important for businesses to have a brand.
5: Well, in these days and ages and uh, where the economic outlook is now, they see in a good economy market and a bad economy market even more. But what people don't realize, even if they don't, the first place they seem to steal money is from marketing, but that's probably where you need to be putting your effort, your time and teaching people that they may know how to make a widget or they may know how to do this stuff and maybe they're not the best at marketing themselves or showing other people how to do that. They, they You're not going to get known or, or be anyone until somebody sees you or knows how to come towards you. So branding and marketing is the key to success, which is keeping the doors open. They don't know you're there. They're not coming.
0: Yeah, exactly. They're not coming, and you have to be able to do that to differentiate themselves, to understand that. And the power of video very is very very important. So you're going to be talking to different people that are looking to get a voice on your podcast. Is that what you're doing?
5: That is correct. We want to talk to the experts in a, in a lot of different fields, uh, um, and, and 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 personal stories. But yeah, I want to bring in bring in people to tell their story, overcoming. Over, whether they're in a certain profession, everybody has a story and how they got there, and how they how they became a success in their particular field and situation. So I like to bring that, and make it relatable, and like you said, the everyday guy that they know those stories. A lot of times you see these guys on TV or Tony Robbins, Grant Cardone, they're great people and make great, but maybe isn't as relatable as getting getting somebody like me or looks like me. To think that well, maybe that can make a difference. And this guy's not here just to show me a program; he really wants to make a difference in real life. Like, you know that that take that edge off of that intimidation to 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 make it more relatable.
0: Exactly, and that's the key thing in podcasting is developing that relationship and having a those conversations. Um, what kind of so so far you launched your first podcast? So tell us people about it. Tell us about it.
5: Okay, well, first couple series we're doing. I'm doing with a. Uh, a gentleman named James Mace, he's developed a program called The Power of the Process. He's, he's a motivational speaker and has a a, uh, has a five-step process in gaining your goals and stuff. We've been talking in the first couple of weeks on his, his uh, program and, and, and step-by-step deal that out to people. Uh, my first podcast is I'm going to be talking about um, my story. And I'm bringing on a couple of local writers and artists to tell their story, kind of um, their their uh, their their experiences through the hurricane that we had just down here, and how it's come back, how things are changing. I have an author who's writing a book on what she went through on that. So it's kind of an overcoming story, and kind of that rebirthing and some of the stuff in the areas that just leveled that here you know, a few months ago when Ian came through.
0: All right. So, the best place people can connect with you and watch and listen to the podcast is where? And watch it.
5: You can come to my website at fifthyearmedia.tv or find me on Fifth Year Media on Facebook or Instagram.
0: Well, we appreciate it. It's great information, and definitely you got to stay in touch and let us know how the podcast is going. I'm wishing you all the luck. Troy. I know you're and you're helping businesses figure out. they they, they're stuck at times they need to have somebody with your knowledge base to be able to help them. So I appreciate it, Troy, for stopping by. Thank you, sir. We'll talk to you soon. You're listening and watching the Neil Haley show and we'll be back in just a moment. We're back to the Neil Haley show and also the media giant effect. I'm excited to welcome the program, Alan Knight, Alan, entrepreneur, author. How are you, Alan? Thanks for stopping by, man. I'm doing well, Neil. How are you doing? Fantastic. And our topic today, we're going to talk about assertive confidence, when we're presenting, when we're trying to potentially have somebody buy something from us, when we're just basically every day working with our clients, the sort of a confidence is very important, isn't it?
6: Okay, not just that, you know, but also dating, parenting, any relationship, most people are being uh, getting into dysfunctional relationships, partly because they're not communicating with the confidence and assertiveness they need to earn that respect. So it could apply to anyone. All right, so let's kind of talk about defining assertive confidence first of all. Well, the reason I put those two words together is for years I I lived. I think I told you that I lived as a, a Zen monk for nine years of my life. Then, I when I left the monastery, I realized that accessing the Zen zone and that mindset is important. But unless you integrate it with every aspect of your life, it was going to be limited. And I realized that the future of the world was going to be entrepreneurship. I was very fascinated with the whole concept of attracting deep connections, heart-centered connections. Soulmate revolution is part of what I do. And so I knew that confidence was a big part of what I teach. But then the communication skills also are important. They need to be combined. So assertiveness is when people take their confidence and put it into practice in their daily communication with other people. So I'm asserting myself with inner confidence. And I bridge the two together.
0: So what are people, why aren't people showing a sort of confidence? Give me an example of someone who doesn't show a sort of confidence, let's say uh, while presenting versus somebody who does. Can you give me that example to see?
6: Well, the simplest one, the most fun one is going on a date. Okay. I I remember in my young years and I, women considered me relatively attractive kind of guy I met them, I, I get, again, i go to first base, have a date, and then with a short period of time, they lost interest in me. And if I'd see someone I was really attracted to, my insecurity and fear would kick in because I thought, she's she, I'm not good enough for her. My brother, I lived in the shadow of my brother, who was Mr. Everybody. Medical school, great athlete, really good looking, and I lived in a confidence. So I had this inner emotional, psychological virus, you might say, that got triggered when I would meet someone I was really attracted to, or in business, could potentially close a sale with someone I really wanted to sell, but I was intimidated by asking for the sale because my insecurity and fear kicked in and screwed up my communication. Like if I walked to a uh, up to a woman and you 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 wouldn't want to dance with me, would you? And of course, you, <laughs> they say no. You turn around and you go back and say, "Never again. I'm never going to do that again." And you live your whole life. Not going after what you really want so it's very insidious
0: so based on what you learned as a zen monk here's the question assertive confidence in everyday being it's challenging because there's these ups and downs in your life ups and downs of specific things you could be on an all-time high and then go to a low and then the next call comes or the next thing happens And you have to challenge yourself to kind of put that game face on and go through, even though in your body, you might not. So what kind of practices should, especially entrepreneurs, a lot of them listen to my program and business owners should, what, how can, especially the YouTube channel can bring a little bit more sort of confidence in their daily life? Like what things should we practice so that we do this? It can't be as easy as saying, okay, I'm confident now.
6: Totally. (laughs) You're hundred percent right. That's why when I left the monastery and I missed, I lived there and I accessed what I call the Zen zone, that space of inner peace, tranquility, contentment. And then when I went into society, I missed women too much. I went back into society and I was a basket case. And I learned that unless you connect that inner peace and tranquility that a lot of people are after in the self-development world, unless you connect that with the emotional well-being, psychological well-being, physical well-being, financial well-being, Connect a uh, uh, relationship well being. Unless you connect all the dots, it's going to be limited. And that's why I created over the, I'm not saying this to sell it to you, but that's why I created this nine step formula that connects all the dots. So if you actually work on yourself, part of it is mindset, not all of it. Part of it is changing your thoughts from negative to positive. Part of it's channeling your emotions. Part of it is getting clear on your vision, being crystal clear. Part of it is uh, being able to manage the challenges and obstacles while they come our way. Like you said, you're up and you're down. Well, that's self-mastery, which is number six of my nine steps. And in the self-mastery, when you've worked on your inner fitness enough, when you worked on your actions and accountability in number five, now you're ready to take on the, I call them the scud missiles of life. They come your way but well, you've learned to pick yourself up by the bootstraps and get back in the zone, back in the zone, and then communicate with assertiveness. So it's a Zen approach to communication. Uh,
0: makes com- Yeah.
6: Absolute sense. Where
0: can people find out? I mean, you're giving us this key saying, okay, there's are specific areas that everyone needs to work on. I don't think everyone has what you've created. Uh, if they did, everyone would be, you know, having assertive confidence in everything in their lives. There's definitely areas that everyone is not have the right assertive confidence. So where can they can find info? Where's the best place? Is it purchasing a book or is it your course or what is it to learn those?
6: Well, the best way is to go to my website, allennight.com is my website. You'll get all the information there. If you want to buy my book, you can certainly go. It's on there. You can get it at Amazon. It's mind gone wild. I have another one called Soulmate Revolution. If you want to book a call with me, I'm happy to do, a as, as part of being on this show, a 45-minute complimentary x-ray assessment, no obligation. You don't have to take any coaching whatsoever. I'll show you exactly what's holding you back and, and, the, and the strategy out of that so that you can turn that around within 60 to 90 days in a very powerful way. If you want to take coaching, you can. If you want to be a coach, we have now a certified coaching program where you not only uh, you might be a coach and don't have a program, or you might have a program that's different than mine. You might be interested in a certified coaching program. So allennight.com would be the best place to get it.
0: We appreciate it, Alan. Such great information. All right, take care.
6: Thank you so much, Neil. You're
0: listening and watching The Neil Haley Show, and we'll be back in just a moment.
8: This is the most important one. We fast forward five years, you know, after this had happened to me and where I am today. And I am in the most wonderful job that a person could have i am in a great place with people who value me where i'm paid what i am worth where i have a say and i guess my point is the universe is very eloquent
0: hi everyone and welcome to a great show again another special edition of feel deal and heal reinventing yourself after loss with our host dr mary dr mary how are you what's going on
7: hey i'm doing great neil how are you
0: i'm doing fantastic and you know our first two episodes really just set the bar so high because (laughs) we talk about loss and how people are able to share it and come up with strategies There are so many people hurt right now that needs a a positive message like yours, Doctor Mary.
7: Absolutely, absolutely, and you know it. It really is a an important topic, and I'm glad that people are open to being able to have some uh, frank discussions around the stigma, as well as you know, grief is a natural process. In terms of loss, so it's a natural response, and so I'm glad that people are, you know, are opening up and amenable to having conversations about this uh, topic. So today we have as our special guest Teresa Chase. Let me tell you a little bit about Teresa. She's a sociologist and literacy engagement specialist who has worked with many diverse audiences throughout her career. She's a lifelong proponent of social justice and dedicated to making the world a better place one day at a time. Welcome, Teresa Chase.
8: Hi, Dr. Mary. Hi, Neil. It's so great to be here this
7: afternoon. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for being here. And I, you know, I, I was um talking earlier and I I said that Teresa is one of my clients, and Teresa has been following me for many, many years, and I would say that she probably is one of the, well, she is, there's no probably to it, but she is a model client, and I am just so delighted to be able to welcome you into this space today, Teresa. Oh, thank you, Dr. Mary. So, so let's, let's just jump in really quickly. Um, tell us just briefly about a significant loss that you have experienced.
8: Well, I have to say, I did some thinking before coming on today, and Mm -hmm. although, you know, in life we experience a lot of loss throughout the different years that we're here, for some reason it kept coming back to a dream job that I lost, Mm -hmm. and I know that I'm still healing from it, and I can definitely talk about it today, Mm -hmm. but that one was a life-changing loss, and I thought it would be really appropriate to bring it today so we could discuss it.
7: Yeah. So so tell us a little bit about how you navigated that loss. You, you've indicated that you lost uh, a job, and that is a very difficult uh, situation. A lot of times people don't think about grief in terms of job loss, but that is a significant part sometimes of who we are in terms of identity, how we identify ourselves, and especially in terms of our self-efficacy in terms of achievement and goals and everything so how did you navigate that loss
8: well i have to admit um it came very unexpectedly and because it was a job where i had put my whole self in Mm -hmm. i found it very difficult to get my whole self out Um, Mm. this job was everything i ever wanted i Was so grateful for the opportunity, and by all accounts, everything was going well. And so, to unexpectedly find that I was no longer in the role that I had, uh, I literally was, you know, in bed for a couple days at first because the timing of it was horrible. It was a couple of days before Christmas. Oh, my! And so, we have other stressors going on, and it was uh, a horrible time to lose a job let alone one that was so important to me and i learned very quickly in the first few days that this was going to be something unlike anything i'd experienced before of course i had had many jobs over my career and all of them you know lent something to me i learned something i came away with something but in this particular case Uh, I could tell right away that I was going to need some deep intervention if I was going to make it. And again, I don't think a lot of people understand that, you know, a job is just a job. And I I know a lot of people say that you can always get another job, but depending on the role you have, what you've put into it and how much it means to you, it can be very devastating to suddenly have that no longer a viable option for you. And, you know, I did that. Like I said, the first few days I realized this is really bad and Mm. I'm not sure how to get out of, you know, how to climb out of this hole. Um, my family was, you know, around me, they were, of course, trying to be helpful and reassuring and supportive, Mm -hmm. but ultimately I knew it was going to come down to just me. I was going to have to figure it out.
0: And, you know, Teresa, a lot of people take their job very, very seriously. Lots and they also make it like it's pretty much their life. Their life is their job, their business is their job. So to lose a job that you love and it doesn't feel like work, it does take time to heal. Don't you agree, Dr. Mary? Absolutely. It's not, it can't just be a last situation. I remember in the professional wrestling business when I walked away, I didn't lose it, but I chose to leave a profession I loved to change my life and make a change. But that loss still sticks with me today, 25 plus years later. Why did I walk away? So Absolutely. isn't that interesting to look at those things, Dr. Mary?
7: It really is. And and, and I've been in that situation too, where um, at, there was a layoff situation and they t- walk in and tell you like at, that the day that you they're going to walk you out that we're laying off staff and you have no idea. And so it's it's like you're you, you go out and you almost feel like a pariah. It's like, what what just happened? How am I going to get through this? And in my case, actually, they called back a couple of weeks later and I, I told them, I said, no, I don't want to I don't want to come back. <laughs> because I'd already gotten myself through it and I was still dealing with it. But I thought, if you did this to me, once you'll do it to me again, and I'm not going to stay and 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 deal with that. But Teresa, how did you recover? What did you do? What kind of strategies? What kinds of uh, what did you do for yourself psychologically, um, emotionally, physically, spiritually? How, what did you do to, to recover from the loss? Well, i think the most important
8: thing was it took me a couple of weeks to realize that you know this job was i didn't do anything wrong mm-hmm. i didn't do anything inappropriate it wasn't a case of you know those are clear-cut situations that i just mentioned where you know that if you did something inappropriate or wrong of course of course you're going to be let go uh, but I reminded myself that the reason I was chosen for the role I was in was because of my resiliency and my ability to problem solve and multitask and all of those things. And so mm-hmm. I really had to sit with my discomfort for a couple of weeks. I really did. Um, and I had to go from the internalized hurt I was feeling to a more proactive approach. Mm-hmm. And I guess in my case, I did it more of a, I'm going to move on in spite